Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have Biomechanics on Our Minds. Boom. 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 All right. I told you I was going to do that. <laughs> you always surprise me. Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. I'm Melissa. And I'm Hannah. Melissa was smiling when she said that, if you were wondering. <laughs> Today on the episode, we talk with uh, Tony Arndt. And Tony is the president of the International Society of Biomechanics. And he's also a professor in biomechanics at the Swedish School of Sport and Health Sciences. And Tony... Uh, we've been talking to Tony for a long time about being on the podcast, mm-hmm. so it was, you know, finally that time <laughs> that uh, we were able to talk with him, yeah. and it was really great. It, he talked a lot about not about how he wanted, you know, the ISB to be truly international mm-hmm. and initiatives he's doing, he's yeah. working on to do that. Yeah, and then he also talked a lot about how it's important to, you know, take care of yourself and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that the world is bigger than just your research and biomechanics, uh, which is always a like, good perspective to to have. And so it was a really f- fun conversation. It was so great. Yeah. he We had fun just kind of having like a human to human conversation. Yeah. Very natural. Yeah. The other thing that kind of made me laugh was like recently someone asked like or we get the comments actually kind of often of like, I don't know how you guys have time for that. Like, I, And this episode was literally like Hannah oh. at the DMV, like at a Starbucks. <laughs> We're like getting ready to interview Tony and like some man is like screaming on his phone in the background. I'm like, like, can you hear that? <laughs> I'm like sweating because I'm like trying to hustle from home and like I can't find my laptop charger and like the rooms are booked. So I'm like, I stole this like orthopedic surgeon's like office and I was hiding in there and like people would walk by and like see me in there and just like stare at me and it was just like oh it was such a mess but Tony was great and such a trooper you had I hope I don't know if we'll be able to like the like an ambulance went by at some point (laughs) I tried to mute my mic as much as I could I was like texting her like mute yourself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but anyway <laughs> so we don't adventure. really have time is basically we make time we make time and we try to do you know <laughs> what we can because we love doing it but it was wonderful and the yeah one of the reasons that it was hard to connect was i think we do a lot of international interviews which is really awesome for us but the like time difference was also like always trying to find i think we were 9 hours apart so yes. tony was like calmly in his home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right well let's start with a bit of boom bit of boom bit of boom bit of boom my hands are actually <laughs> frozen right now, and Hannah just tried to blow on them for me. <laughs> but they're still actually numb. They're like yellow. Yeah, so Melissa might have to leave because she has frostbite. <laughs> we went on a run today, and it was just very cold. And we're in California, so it was freezing. It was always so cold in California. Yeah, we had to shovel out our driveways from all the... <laughs> From all the not. It was snow. 37 degrees though, so. Yeah, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, what but, do we yeah, got? What mind. do we got on Bit of Boom today, Anna? Bit of Boom. We decided to take a research article from Tony. Be- yeah. Yeah, we didn't talk about his research as much as, as, as much, much as. during the interview. Yeah. So, one, he has a really wide range of different publications on different topics, a lot Mm -hmm. of some sports, other applications. And this one we decided on is called Three-Dimensional Kinematics and Power Output in Elite Para-Kayakers and Elite Able-Bodied Flatwater Kayakers. Yes. And this is in the Journal of Applied Biomechanics, and it was published in 2019. Yeah. And it's really cool. It's a really a comparison study on looking at the different kinematics and how those correlate with the power output that 
both elite para kayakers can output as well as elite able-bodied kayakers to see yeah. if these differences in kinematics can account for differences in their power output and how they're able to actually do their sport. Yeah, and I love that I don't often see articles on kayaking, mm. <laughs> kayaking biomechanics in general. And then it's also nice to, you know, cover groups that might not always, you know, we don't always have the research on them mm -hmm. that we should. So, yeah, this is so how did how did they do this? Yeah. So they I, they didn't do all the kinematics, you know, out on the water. I don't think they could get the motion capture out there. But it looks like they were on erg machines, you know, okay. rowing machines. Yes. And they used motion capture to compute joint angles as usual and figure out range of motion for the two different groups. Okay, cool. And then they found differences in trunk rotation, hip, knee, and ankle flexion range of motion and trunk flexion maximum um, between the able-bodied athletes and the para-athletes. Mm -hmm. And then they found that the angles are correlated positively with the power output. Yeah, and I thought what was interesting was that they found that the these differences, you know, some the able-bodied kayakers had greater range of motion and some the para-kayakers had greater range of motion. And it looked like the para-kayakers had greater range of motion in their shoulders in both flexion and rotation, whereas mm -hmm. in their trunk or lower limbs, they had less range of motion, which makes sense because makes sense, sorry, because that's where their impairments. Right. Were. Yeah. And so it seems like the able-bodied athletes are able to maybe sit more forward in a flex trunk position so then they can rotate the trunk and moving move the legs and that produces a higher power output mm -hmm. whereas maybe the para athletes are compensating with their shoulders a little bit but yeah and it's interesting too it seems like this is valuable for coaches and you know people that are interested in kayaking and then also just a nice addition to mm -hmm. research in biomechanics. So if you want to read more about that paper, you can find it, as Melissa said earlier, in the Journal of Applied Biomechanics. And I, yeah, we would suggest that you take a look at Tony's publication record because there's a lot of interesting studies on there. Yeah, definitely. We are really excited to be talking with Tony Arndt today, who is a professor in biomechanics at the Swedish School of Sport and Health Sciences. And Tony, you said that's in Swedish. So would you like to give the uh, Swedish version of, of that school? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, hello. First, in Swedish, it's actually Professor Idrottsvetenskap Inriktning Rörselära. Wow. <laughs> but Professor in Biomechanics is fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what we are going to say. <laughs> well, thanks so much for talking with us. I know you also through the International Society of Biomechanics being on the council, um, and since you are the International Society of Biomechanics president, which makes you particularly exciting guests, considering that the ISB is really how Boom got started. Thank you. And I'm really, really happy to be on Boom. It's taken a while, but I'm glad we've managed to get a time to do it together and really happy to be able the to... The time difference is I know. Yes, I know. <laughs> we'll, we'll blame exactly. it on the time difference. That's good. No, I'm really, really happy to be here and thanks for inviting me. So looking forward to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I love asking this first question in our interviews and it's, what did you want to be when you grow up? And if it wasn't a biomechanist, yeah, want to explain that. And then maybe when did you change toward uh, orienting toward the field of biomechanics? I think that's a really sweet question. Because <laughs> <laughs> growing up is sort of quite long ago. Either it's that or it hasn't happened yet. And I, I grew up in New Zealand. And I was very close to the both the beaches and the ocean mm. and the bush and always in nature. And the Bachelor of Science I did at Auckland University was actually in biology with a major in zoology. Oh, that's awesome. And the thing I was most interested in were New Zealand birds. And studying them, we also got into the biomechanics of how they fly and also in some other animals that we were studying in biology. It was a lot of mechanics of how they were working. Yeah. But I have to admit I wasn't really thinking of biomechanics right then. That changed a bit after my Bachelor of Science. I went for a couple of years to Austria and went skiing. I was a ski instructor there for a few years. And that sort of got me really close to the sports biomechanics field as well. But even then, I was probably more interested in skiing than the actual biomechanics part of it. <laughs> but then, then I went back to – my parents had moved to Australia, so I went to Australia. And at the University of Wollongong, they had a biomechanics degree or course in human movement science it actually was and I 
then thought, well, this is perfect. I could use my biology from New Zealand. I could use the interest I had in sports. And that's when I then started with biomechanics in at the University of Wollongong. So it was never really the actual term biomechanics that I was interested in, even mm-hmm. though I was always interested in biomechanics, if you understand what I mean. So it's always been close. Just felt natural to end up there. Definitely, and I, I like that it spans so many different areas. When you were little, like you talk about the bird biomechanics and also the sports biomechanics, and I think that also like very nicely sums up how much biomechanics influences our exactly, exactly. It does, and I mean that's what I. I'm obviously mainly into human biomechanics now, but it still really, really fascinates me, all the comparative biomechanics that mm-hmm. gets presented at ISB and other conferences where it is a lot of animal biomechanics. I just think that is really fantastic work. So it still still really fascinates me. Yeah, absolutely. And what type of work are you currently doing? As a professor, I've got a few PhD students, obviously, and they're, mm-hmm. they're into quite applied sports biomechanics. I have one doing sprint start in running, I have one in triathlon, then a couple in para sports with classification systems. But the the two areas that I've sort of had since my PhD, Achilles tendon loading and intrinsic kinematics of the foot. And I've so I'm sort of still carrying on with them, but that's more my own projects at the moment. I don't have any PhD students in them. But I also, I have a lot of administrative work at, at the university. I'm chairperson or dean of, of research of the university. I was trying to think of the Swedish name again. Okay. Uh, so I'm, I'm dean of research at the university as well, which obviously takes a lot of time. So it's not that much time in the lab, unfortunately. You have many roles, it seems, within the field, both like at, at your school and then with the ISB as well. So um, that must be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And I think it's character problem I think that I can't say no to things but at the same time I always see it as a challenge and I (laughs) (laughs) I I do like the challenges and I I'm probably a bit not unique but different to a lot of other biomechanics or researchers that I don't mind the administration Mm -hmm. I quite enjoy it because it means you're actually forming the university you're helping the university you're driving it forward and I guess I'm sort of good at administration so I'm not as negative towards it as I know a lot of colleagues are. Yeah. No, I feel like I can relate to that, actually. And yeah. It's nice to be able to, to use those skills in a field that you're interested in, too. I think so. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Maybe sort of going on that point, do you have certain mentors or, or people that you're close with that have helped guide you along the way in your career and now? That, that is so important, or it has been for me. Uh, I don't think I'd be anywhere near where I am now doing what I'm doing now if it hadn't been for mentors all along the way. Mm-hmm. Maybe right now it's less because I'm myself maybe coming into a mm-hmm. more senior position, even though I don't feel that senior yet, but I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, right from when I went to Australia, like I mentioned, after my skiing expedition, I met Julie Steele and Peter Milburn in Wollongong. And they just helped me so much getting into biomechanics. And we even managed to get a skiing project in biomechanics, which was completely fantastic. But then I did my PhD in Cologne with Peter Brueggemann and the help that he gave me to meet internationally famous biomechanists and include them in my PhD work was just incredible. When I look back on that now, I almost feel guilty as a supervisor that I can't provide the same possibilities for my PhD students that Peter gave me. And then I came to Sweden and it was Arne Lundberg at Karolinska Institute that also internationally and got me into orthopedic biomechanics and just completely fantastic. But at the same time, there are more people that were directly involved with what I was doing that I met maybe on a daily basis. But I've also had indirect mentors, I would like to call them, international, like Ben O'Nig and Joe Hamill and even Walter Heltzog. They've always been there supporting me and they've always had my back somehow. And pushed me as well quite uh, quite concretely they they sort of it was Ben O'Nig that suggested that I'd run for president of the footwear biomechanics group and at that stage I was just completely flabbergasted that, that Ben would ask yeah. me to, to do that <laughs> but I thought wow I mean that's fantastic thank you Ben so so not not someone I meet on a daily basis or something but we've met so many times at so many conferences that we know and respect each other and they've definitely helped me so the mentorship thing I think is 
really, really important. And like I said, I nearly feel guilty sometimes that you can't quite have the same possibilities for my PhD students to provide that. But it's also maybe maybe I've had that. Well, I think it can come in many different ways, you know. Yeah. I think it's also myself taking the initiative to go to all these different places. I did my bachelor in New Zealand, master's in Australia, PhD in Germany, and now and then postdoc and continued career in Sweden. So obviously I meet more people in that way as well. So it's up to every person as well. I think that's amazing that you've had the ability to work with so many people and build really a worldwide network. I think that's almost as important, it is equally as important, I should say, as you know, doing good work is really building those connections. For me, it has been. And I, I mean, I hope it's also led to doing good work, but it's definitely been, it's been the exciting part as well. It's just so amazing, the international community. So I love it. Those connections are so important. And I, I think they're equally as important as doing good work, obviously. And that I, this feeling of sort of camaraderie and uh, friendliness in the community and connectedness through all the different levels of from student to faculty to president or people on council, it was just so resounding at the ISB conference. That's what I really, really like about ISB as well. And I've been there for quite a long time. And it's just a highlight every time going to those conferences. And speaking of the mentors that I've had and the international ones that are mentoring in a sort of different way, I mean, I meet them at every ISB conference. I mean, Peter is retired, so he's not there that often anymore. But it was definitely a lot of contact through the ISB conferences. And even if you're not in touch with them daily anymore, you still see them at every ISB. And it's, that's just fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, your first leadership role with the ISB was with the Florida Mechanics Group. And then when did you decide that you wanted to apply to be or run for the, for president of the <laughs> ISB? I think I was told to. No, jokes aside. <laughs> <laughs> when were you told? <laughs> no, I, I was... Through quite unfortunate circumstances, um, the Secretary General of ISB was Alex Stuckoff from Switzerland, and he unfortunately passed away. And I was sort of acutely asked if I could jump in as Secretary General to take his place. And I was there for, I think, seven years as Secretary General and just got so so into the, how the council works, how the whole society works. And... It was sort of a natural progression from there, even though I I took a couple of years off after being Secretary General. But then it sort of the thought matured, and I thought, I mean, I, I am ready for this. I I'm, I would like to run for ISB president. And I do also think that through the years that I've been there, people have seen what, what I can do on council, but also I've just met so many people. So I was sort of quite happy to stand for president and see if I had the support for it. So it, was, it sort of just matured on me from after being Secretary General. But like you said, I was chairperson of the Footwear Biomechanics Group before, so I had already had a couple of years of experience of leading a group within the ISB, and that definitely helped. And as leader, what plans do you have going forward over sort of your tenure? I would imagine you have ideas for sort of what your journey is going to look like. Yeah, it's two-year journey as actual president, of which half a year has already gone, nearly. So it's what I'm most scared about right now is how quickly it will, <laughs> how quickly it will go. <laughs> of course, then there's still, <laughs> there's still two years of past president afterward as well. So you can still influence there, but the president obviously has a slightly special role. And I have a few things. The, maybe the main one is that I'm I like the international bit of the International Society of Biomechanics, and I think we can do more there. So what I would like to concentrate on is attracting delegates and people into the society, members into the society from countries that traditionally haven't been very represented. I realize this is an impossible task on a, on a complete scale, but at least to do as much as I can. Uh, so I, I'm, I've already been to China and have another trip planned to China because uh, they've just got so much amazing biomechanics there, but are not very well represented in ISB. So I just think this is something that we need to work on. So um, that's a definite mission for me. Um, I've managed to get some interest from Costa Rica and Mexico, which have maybe maybe been there before, but not definitely not on a large scale. So I'd like to, they're going to organize a 
presumably combined meeting, inaugural combined meeting next year. And so I'd like to go there. And even if it's only a few people, but get the sow a seed and get the ISB represented there. I was just wondering how you kind of go about doing that. Like when you say you take a trip to China, like, like what are the types of things you talk about with people there to get, you know, get them more involved in the society? Yeah, I, I think what I'd prefer is if there's a few different steps. One good thing is if there's a possibility for some keynote lecture or a presentation to whoever's there presenting research, showing, showing some of the research that I personally do, but that I can also fil- finish off with a description of what the society does on a more formal basis. But on my trip to China, I just realized that the, the most exciting part is when you take a step back and just talk to the students, the master's students and PhD students together with their supervisors and go through their research and see what they're doing and seeing how it would be applicable, how they could come to the society and just promote that they that we have a society, that we have these meetings, the congresses, and that they're very welcome, that it's not difficult to go there and that we just try and get more people from there. And uh, it, you just see how appreciative they are. It's, it's lovely to see. It's really nice. So that's my plan for Costa Rica, Mexico as well. At the moment, there's no other concrete trips or activities like that planned, but I'm hoping that more will come. I'm also going to Japan, but I don't really count Japan as someone that's not represented because they usually have quite a lot of people at ISB anyway, but I've been invited to go there. So that's also nice. It's still more internationalization. So I really want to work on this international bit. But apart from that, something that I mentioned previously was the that I don't mind administration. And I think it's a lot of the official documents that we have in the society that the council has need some modernizing. I mean, basically the operating codes, I think it's time that we did a revision of them because things have changed over the last few years. And also a code of conduct that we're working on at the moment that we think it's important that the ISB has. So it's, it's working through documents as well, together, of course, with the council members that, helping, that are helping a lot. Yeah, and I think that's great too. I mean, it's good to have some something formalized to really show what the you know mission of the ISP is, what our values are, and like how we expect you know members uh, or our expectation of members who are involved in the society. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and so you're also planning uh, the ISP 2021 in Stockholm, and I'm super excited for this, <laughs> and we are hoping to hear a little bit more about what you're most excited about. For this conference everything <laughs> <laughs> i'm really really excited that i live in a city that's, that's this beautiful and that's just really amazing and that i can bring what we were talking about previously the isb family of which i know so many that i can sort of bring them home it feels like i can i'm bringing them to stockholm put on an amazing event and i'm just really looking forward to that i mean it'll be incredible and I'm, I mean, at the moment, of course, we're still in the planning stage and a lot of things are still a bit nervous and you're wondering how it'll go. But we, I mean, we do have the one basic fact that it is a beautiful city. We've got this amazing venue and we're just going to put on a great conference and I can't wait to meet everybody that I know so well yeah. and new people, of course, and have a great scientific program in this setting. It, it's, oh, I can carry on talking for ages about this. <laughs> it, it's just, I can't wait. Yeah, I remember Walter. I can't imagine the production that must go into getting everything ready. Uh, I remember Walter in his opening speech at ISB this year saying how he had the nightmare the night before or a few weeks before that no one showed up or that something had gone wrong in planning. So I'm wondering what just, you know, I'm sure there's like different anxieties around different things, but sort of what's the biggest challenge that uh, you face with with planning this this huge thing? With the conference, you mean? Yeah, yeah. It's maybe too early to say, because okay. at the moment, I think we're sort of, it feels at least, maybe I'm just naive, but it feels like we're <laughs> under control. We, <laughs> we we have the venue booked. We have hotel rooms blocked. Uh, we have a basic idea of the scientific program. We're starting to think about keynote lecturers. We have a, I mean, ISB has this luxury of pretty good sponsors. So we already know a lot of people that are more than likely to come and want to exhibit and sponsor the, the conference. And But I mean, there's a lot of small details that are still going to come. But it feels like the base work has been done. And at the moment, I think we're on track anyway. Uh, we've organized a professional congress organizer because 
just for a little bit of information, the conference will be organized by three universities, but neither of them actually has the capacity to organize the whole thing like Calgary did. So we're we're hiring a professional Congress organizing company. Uh, and that also feels quite comforting. It feels nice to have that because they have all the experience. They know Stockholm. They know what to do. Yeah. And it feels very nice to be able to work together with them. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But speaking of challenges, we also were wondering what maybe has been one of the challenges you've had to overcome uh, in your journey in biomechanics in general, and then perhaps like what advice would you give to younger biomechanists to help overcome some of their challenges? I guess a lot of the biggest challenges have, have happened on the way within research, like methodological challenges and mm. what to do with these data that we've got. What do they, what do they mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and things like that that everyone faces all the time. And at the time, they feel like the biggest challenge. Right. Uh, so I think that's actually what I put at the top, the, the challenges you have in your research. But then more of an overarching challenge, I think, has been when I, after doing my PhD in Cologne in Germany, where they have a big department of biomechanics and everything's there, the laboratories and lots of PhD students and supervisors and professors and everything you need. I came to Stockholm and went to an orthopedic department that had a tiny, tiny lab and no biomechanists. And I, I, I sort of had to fight all the time to establish biomechanics at all. <laughs> I mean, some of the orthopedic surgeons were maybe doing biomechanics, but never really called it that or had a facility to do it better in, like the laboratory. So I think establishing biomechanics in places where it doesn't really exist in those words, that's also a challenge generally in Sweden. A lot of universities have biomechanics in different ways, like technical biomechanics or sports biomechanics or medical biomechanics, but no one actually has a biomechanics degree. Right. And so, so that's been a challenge here. And I think what's really helped that on its way is that we've started the Swedish Society of Biomechanics. So now we can all sit together and talk together and we're working together, which has made a big difference. Yeah. And it seems like that's something that's so impactful to the field is, is not, you know, going beyond your own like personal research and interest in biomechanics and like setting it up for other people to be involved and make progress in the field. Yeah. I just think of if like a lot of the biomechanics departments that I know in North America and other places, they do have everything in place. They have the administration, they have the laboratory, they have a lot of the uh, critical mass of people that's working on it. And that's definitely not what I had. So I sort of had to work by myself to get into own research projects and establish them at the hospital, the university hospital, where there wasn't such a big dynamic animal that was driving the biomechanics. And, and then your follow-up question was, how would you advise others to do this? I'm not quite sure. I think it's a lot of persistence. <laughs> you just have to keep going and going. You have to trust in your own work and realize that it's good and do it good enough that other people take notice of it and realize that this is an important resource and let's build on this. So yeah, it's it's a lot of Persistence and trust in your own work, Yeah, I think is really important. Yeah, speaking of persistence and trust in your own work, I think that's, that's huge, building that sort of confidence to keep trying and persevering. And that's a lot of times I feel like what you have to lean on when, when you encounter failure. But, you know, we love talking about failure on Boom. So we're wondering about what your approach or, you know, philosophies around failure in research are. That's a great question. My philosophy is quite simple, that you don't fail at research. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I mean, quite, quite honestly, I mean, if you're doing research and you think you've failed, then that's research. I mean, that's you've gone forwards. You haven't gone backwards. You've done something that you realize doesn't work, and that means you're going to do something better to make it work. Yeah. So I, I don't. It's, it's not failure. It feels like it. I know that. And, of course, I've had that myself as well. But I think it's important, and that's not easy, to look at it as something that's driving you forward, not backwards. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, if, if a method doesn't work, it means that you're going to get a method that does work, which means you've found a better method. I mean, that's, that's success. It's not failure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are there, are there any failures that you've experienced that like, particularly stand out? 
when you think back on some of your experiences in the field? Okay, yep, I'll name one. Uh, when I was in at the Karolinska Institute doing orthopedic biomechanics, I was still working together with Pavel Kormi a bit. And during my PhD, we'd been working with the optic fiber method in the Achilles tendon to measure force in the Achilles tendon. And in my PhD, that worked very well. And he still came to Stockholm as well. And we did another project and it worked well. And then I had a, I'm not sure if you can have a sabbatical when you're doing postdoc, but anyway, research visit in Wollongong with Julie Steele. And we wanted to establish the method in Wollongong. And I was there for three months. And we basically, in the end, didn't get it to work at all. So, I mean, and that definitely felt like, I mean, I'd come here with that as a prime objective and it didn't work. So, in the, I mean, they basically don't have the method there now, which in the end affects, oh, okay, shall I come to the success bit now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do that thing where we spin it into something positive. <laughs> <laughs> that was the failure part. But when, you, when I look back on it now, there is quite a lot of research showing that it's not an optimal method. I mean, when I did it for my PhD, it was new and people thought it was fantastic and I did as well. But like a lot of methods, there are disadvantages and limitations. So I don't think anyone is using it at the moment because we've learned that it's probably not the best. And the other success is that we've now had to work on non-invasive methods to try and measure the same thing. And they're starting to be really, really good. Yeah. So it's it's taken a while, but at the stage, it definitely felt like a failure. But I think it maybe wasn't bad so, that we didn't get it to work because there's better things coming now. That hindsight, right, is so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, I have to run, but I'm going to have Melissa finish off the interview. Tony, it was so wonderful to talk with you. Nice to meet you, Hannah. Yeah. So I had a just a quick follow-up to your experience with failure. And I was just kind of wondering like what you do immediately after, you know, those situations, like, do you, if there's any, like, I know you love cycling, like, is that something that you do to kind of like refresh or what are some strategies? Sometimes I feel like I'm just going to like cry for a day and then pull it together. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more than just doing something straight after a failure. I think it's a general not philosophy, but a way of way of living, because I, I think it's you have to remember, and this is something I'd like to say also to students that biomechanics isn't your whole life, and if you're not healthy in your life and you're not happy and you're not enjoying yourself generally, you're going to have a lot more difficulties succeeding as well. So it's important generally to think that okay, this is this is what I'm doing in biomechanics, but I also know that tonight I'm going out with friends or tomorrow I'm going for a run and balance it. I think balance is really important. Biomechanics isn't your whole life. There's lots of other things to do. And in my case, yes, I do do go cycling a lot. And and that's a great way to let some fresh air blow through your brains <laughs> <laughs> to get back down to earth. And you realize that maybe the work in the lab wasn't that important. I'll go back tomorrow and see if I can do it better. Yeah. And, and that's also like one of the things I think I've really appreciated with working with you is I think you always bring this nice perspective and, and our conversations are always, you know, focused around biomechanics. And also one of my favorite things is that you're always on the dance floor at the conferences. So that <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to, you know, be able to have some fun. It is definitely. I mean, we want to be good at biomechanics. We want to be successful. We would like to have fantastic articles in fantastic journals. But from my perspective, anyway, if, if I'm not enjoying it, then I don't really see why I should be doing it. Yeah. I know that's not necessarily how everyone would think, but that's how I think. And that's, that's my idea on it. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. So if there is someone who is new to the field, who's listening to this podcast, or if someone that's new to the field reaches out to you and asks for some advice for, you know, how to get started in this, in this field, what is the most important advice you would give them? That's nice. I like that question. There's, I've sort of based what I have as a bit of a philosophy here on five I's, words starting with I. <laughs> and, and the first one that I think is absolutely essential is inquisitiveness, that you're inquisitive, that's why you do research. I mean, you want to have answers to questions that you don't know the answers to. Yes. And I think that's just in any research. I mean, that's not specific to biomechanics. Yeah. I just think that's really really important and that's something that shouldn't shouldn't die when you get older either it should carry on you, if you 
not inquisitive anymore, then somehow you're stagnating as a researcher, I feel. Right. So I think that's the top one for me. Then I have a few others that inspiration. I think it's important to be inspired by other people. And that's very much on my personal experience. Like I mentioned, the mentors that I've had, they've all just been very inspirational to me and have just made me want to keep going and going and going (laughs) because I Mm -hmm. just thought it was so fascinating what they were doing. And the way they could inspire me just has helped so much. So I think be inspired by people that are good at this. People around you, it can be other students, it can be professors, it can be Nobel Prize winners, but it can be anybody that's doing something that, that you find inspiring. Yeah. So I think that's important. Yeah, I really love that. I hope I don't disappoint you with the others. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited to hear the others. <laughs> so what's number three? It's integrity. Hmm. I think as researchers, you have to have an integrity you have to realize what research is doing, that it's really, really important for society and also for other researchers, obviously, that what you're going to present, people are going to believe. And you have to present it so that you can believe in it yourself. You have to have integrity in your own work that you're doing. And, and I just, I mean, once again, that's not just biomechanics. That's a research aspect that I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. That was number three. Innovation. Be innovative. Most biomechanics labs have a force platform, they have a motion analysis system, they have EMG, and that's sort of the basis. But think of other methods. What are you trying to measure? What would you need to measure that? What other things are there out there in other fields, in engineering, in, I don't know, neurophysiology? What methods do they use? Could they answer what you're looking for? Try and combine things. Be innovative. Think of new methods. Make biomechanics bigger. Yeah. So I think that's that's really important. And that's also something I've I like PhD theses that include a methods article that they have developed a new method mm. and present that. Because I think that's that's showing more than just using existing methods to answer a new question. You're actually building a new toolbox to answer a question by being innovative and devising something new. Right. So that, that really impresses me when, when PhD students have that. Yeah, that's very cool. I And I think that's also one of the things that's made a big impact, I would say, in my experience, too, is being able to bridge different fields and, and get different perspectives and then have that kind of inspire you to, to be an innovator. Totally agree. And then the last one, not surprisingly, is internationalization. And I mean, that's, I think, really, really important. I think we have this amazing international community in biomechanics. Go out and use it make the most of it. Obviously, that incl- that's money as well. But nowadays, with these fantastic technical possibilities like this podcast and Skype and Zoom and everything else that's out there, you can meet people so easily. You can, you can put up a YouTube, you can talk to each other. It's just go out and be international. There's so much stuff out there. There's so many different cultures, different laboratories, different methods. People, I mean, you're going to meet, obviously, new people. And you're just going to develop more and more by doing this rather than staying a bit rough maybe but stagnating in your own laboratory for for a complete career so for me that's been extremely important and I think I feel sad sometimes when I see people that don't make the most of this opportunity of being international and of course I also have to finish off (laughs) with with saying that Welcome to the International Society of Biomechanics because it is a fantastic, <laughs> fantastic <laughs> was, family. And I mean, exactly. I was going to say, as you being the president of the International Society of Biomechanics, it is nice, you know, for you to include that as as one of your values and and things that you, you know, kind of live by and give advice to to be international. Of course, that's very true, but it's also from personal experience that I think the one of the biggest assets that I have is the international experience that I've had through all the different, I mean, normal university career, really. I, mean, I haven't done anything exceptional, but it's been in lots of different countries. And I think I've just learned so much through that and have all these fantastic friends and colleagues from all these different countries that I meet again and again, mainly at ISP. Yeah, that's definitely one of my favorite parts. And and like you said, it's so easy to make those connections now. And I think that's what we try to, you know, encourage students to do. And also through the podcast is just be like, hey, this is way easier than you think. You can, you know, really send anyone an email and just ask to talk with them and um, really have a valuable 
uh, conversation and connection. And you just, you never know what you're going to learn from someone. So I've never had a conversation that I, you know, wish I didn't have, you know, every single one is, I, I feel like I've learned so much. So. Oh, that's great. No, and it's been a fantastic initiative as well. And ISP is very happy for the, the whole boom phenomenon. Yes, well, <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, it's really taken off and it's fantastic to have on the ISP site. So we're, we're really, really proud to have this podcast on there. Yeah, well, we definitely couldn't do it without the ISP. So thank you. And I love your five eyes, inquisitive, inspiration, integrity, innovation, and internationalization. I think those are five great values and great advice for anyone listening. Thank you. I, and I obviously agree because I, I made them up. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to believe in what you say. <laughs> Trust in your own work, like we were talking yeah, about. Exactly. But I mean, I really, I really do believe in them. I, I think they're very important all of them. Yeah, that's great. Well, one of the things, uh, one of the last questions we like to talk about before we wrap up is, is what you're most excited about for the future of biomechanics? Ooh, that's a big one. <laughs> I, I think it's the, what we were just touching on now as well, the, the inclusion or the cooperation mm -hmm. with other fields. That to I mean, especially maybe in my field, I know a lot of others do biomechanics in other areas, but I think it's a bit narrow, the human movement biomechanics field with, like I mentioned, a, a gate laboratory with a force platform motion analysis and EMG. Let's touch on some exciting other fields that we can get inspiration from and, and include those in biomechanics and really, really expand it in that way. Because I, I think that's that's the way we have to go. And I think that's by mm -hmm. increasing the access, the internationalization possibilities to meet with other people. I think that's a natural thing that will that will happen because everyone has their own experiences. By working together, you're going to include more. And I, I think it's this is this is where the integrity comes in as well. I think we need to collaborate and not work against people that are doing the same thing. I think that's really important. I think, luckily, I think in biomechanics that's already quite quite successful. I think people work very well in biomechanics. I know in some other fields from people in at university that it's it's not always the case that people want to work together. They see it more as a competition. And I don't think that's conducive to better science. If someone's doing the same thing as you work together. Yeah. I've maybe gone off the topic a bit there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but all I think all very important points. And I think seeing the future as more than, you know, a specific technology or something, but more as like how we're going to be changing the culture of research and biomechanics, I think is, is also, you know, something that's really important. Yeah. And, and I mean, my answer was more on the culture, but because I think talking about specific techniques, you're narrowing it down to, or I'm, I would be narrowing it down to what I do, because I could, I could definitely answer that. I'm really excited about the advances being made in imaging techniques in, in the field that I'm looking at musculoskeletal biomechanics, often basic, basic research, looking at how different structures function. And I think the imaging techniques that are happening in medical imaging are just um, they're mind-blowing at the moment and I, that, that's really exciting that's definitely where it's going in my field but I think it's difficult to have a technique answer for the complete field of biomechanics because other people might think that it, medical imaging is completely boring because it's not relevant to their <laughs> to their field <laughs> yeah and well, I think it's also kind of like a good recap of our conversation in general I think it was very you know we covered kind of the bigger picture a lot, which I really appreciate. And I think a lot of the listeners appreciate as well. So That's nice. thank, you thank you for yeah. being on the podcast. And I'm really excited for the next time or the next conference that we're at and uh, to catch up. But this is a, yeah, this is a great conversation and uh, we're ha so happy to have you on. Well, you're very welcome. And thank you very much for inviting me. It's been an honor to be on this. It's taken a long time to be on Boom, but now I'm finally on there. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Tony for that conversation. We really appreciated it and they really enjoyed it. Yeah. And he talked a little bit about failure, but we're going to do our favorite segment now. Yes. Research, Research fails. fails. <laughs> <laughs> Research fails. Yes, it does. 
mean, I'm glad we have music, but it seems like we could just Probably sing just it. Sing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Hannah, do you have a fail for us? I do. So this was shared by one of my lab mates. Well, basically, we were sitting in lab meeting the other day, and someone mm-hmm. was, one of my lab mates was presenting some results that another lab mate had helped him with. And the lab mate that was presenting, you know, presented and we realized we were like, hey, wait, actually that calculation doesn't seem right. Yeah. And then we checked and, you know, he, the lab mate presenting, checked with the one who had he'd worked with. Right. And the one he'd worked with was like, no, that's how I do it. And we were like, mm. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Sorry, I don't think that's correct. <laughs> and then, you know, so the lab mate who had taught the other lab mate was like, oh, no, now all my results are going to be wrong. Yeah. So oh, no. frantically. That's so yeah, scary. It was, and that's we're all just holding feeling. our breath in lab meeting while he, like, logs in to his oh, account and doing checks. that in, like, during lab meeting. Because <laughs> he was like, I need to know right now. <laughs> So, um, yes, thankfully, he was like, oh, no, I just taught him how to do it incorrectly, (laughs) but I did it correctly in my own results. Okay, well, that's good. That (laughs) would be such a scary find. Yeah. Yeah, especially because, you know, the the project that was being presented was in very nascent stages, so nothing big had happened. Yeah. Yeah, It was easy to change. Yeah. And the mistake wouldn't have been huge to fix anyway. It was just one of those things that, like, feels like, oh, my gosh, now, like, everything I did. But that's also it shows the it hits on the importance of presenting early and getting exactly. feedback and making and getting everyone sure, to look and getting at it. Everyone's <laughs> yeah, thoughts and analyses. So yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it was interesting. I also learned though how like he coded his analysis well and that he was like, Oh, I I guess it wouldn't be that bad. I'd only have to change this one thing and then he could like batch mm-hmm. rerun his results. So I was like, oh, yeah, so that's, like, a good way, at least, you can't protect against making mistakes, but you can at least sort of protect against, like, having to make things flexible and um, code that can, yeah. Well, on the topic of battery runs, (laughs) 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 I would say my failure right now, so I've been working on uh, writing a paper up, and thank you, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) This is my first first author paper, and so that's exciting. But (laughs) I just did that dumb thing. I'm making figures, and I just did them so unbelievably manually. It's (laughs) annoying. And I, you know, when you you do something like that, and you're like, oh, well, like I already know what I want this figure to look like. It will take me, you know, an hour to just make it, and then. But if I wanted to, like, have it be more automatic then or learn a new software, that's going to take, like, days. So I'm just going to make it real quick and it'll be fine. And then, of course, like, you make it and then you end up going back for one change and then you go back for another change. And next thing you know, I've, like, making all of these changes and I did it totally manually. (laughs) So it, like, (laughs) takes way more time than it would have if I just better automated the process or used, like, a better software I don't even know if I should admit this, but as of now, I still make like all of my figures in PowerPoint. (laughs) (laughs) But I, my goal is to to transfer to Illustrator this year or another (laughs) software. That's literally not embarrassing. Um, I know postdocs that still do that. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna stop doing that. But I'm gonna teach you. But it's like for me, it's like just so to make a simple figure, it's like so easy and quick to just do it. (laughs) Oh, and yeah. Well, I feel like that's really good. Like what you're just saying about like getting feedback early. It's good for like mock-ups because I think I make the other mistake where I like make my mock-up figure like an Mm -hmm. illustrator, and then I spend way too long making a stupid mock-up. I see. Like look good, and then everything gets changed anyway. Yeah. I think I just like sketch my figures. (laughs) (laughs) Make it out of clay. (laughs) This is my when I when people use Illustrator, I I think you can tell because it just sounds like (laughs) because like in Illustrator, there's just so many layers, and you're always like trying to click the layer you want or object you want, and it's just like in clicking. Like you can, I can always tell in lab when someone's using Illustrator. (laughs) I just like look around. I'm like. Someone is using Illustrator. <laughs> Who's doing it? Who's yeah. making figures today? 
Figure day. Not Melissa. <laughs> so soon you'll be, that'll be the sound of you. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> uh, yeah, so just do, just, you know, just automate things. Do it the way you know you should do it, even yeah. if it initially takes more time. There's no such thing as a shortcut. There is no such thing as a shortcut. You're going to regret it. Yeah. <laughs> Learn from my mistakes. And yeah. Yeah, my mom always used to say, you haste, you waste. And I'd be like, You haste, you waste? Yeah, like if you're doing something in haste, it's really just a waste. I love that. I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. I'm always like, damn it, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Can we say that on the air? (laughs) Yeah. Why not? (laughs) It's a free country. (laughs) I think that was the first time. Is that the first curse word we've said on Boom? First curse word I've said in my life. So. Hannah doesn't usually curse. It's usually me with the foul mouth. <laughs> you know. Anyway, thanks Anyways, for listening. Thanks for dealing with us, and tune back in next month. Yeah, for if some you're more still fun. listening right now, hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, I'm Melissa. I'm Hannah. And if you want to follow us on Twitter. <laughs> For updates and more ridiculousness, uh, you can follow us at Biomechanics OOM. Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, and if you have any ideas for people to interview, any research fails to share, any comments, please email us at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you're feeling up for it, you can rate us <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Maybe not after this episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, please rate us and leave any comments if you have any. That are nice. And <laughs> Speaking of music, huge thank you to Peter Washington for his contributions. Yes, Peter is great, and we appreciate his musical talents. And thank you to the International Society of Biomechanics for supporting the podcast. We really couldn't do this without them. And, yeah, we're so thankful for them. Mm-hmm. Biomechanics off our minds. Ew, ew, ew.